want to share some thoughts today. It's, it's going to be a bit of a continuation um, from Wednesday, but also um, something brand new. We're kicking off something new today. And so uh, I mentioned uh, last Sunday about praying about starting a series through First Thessalonians. And uh, First Thessalonians, we're actually not going to read too much in First Thessalonians today. We're going to talk about uh, the history of this place. But I think it's very relevant um, in a couple ways. One, it's um, obviously important for us to understand what's going on with these people that um, the Apostle Paul wrote to. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians is just a letter. It's all that it is. It's a letter. Um, it was a letter inspired by God. A letter wrote by the Apostle Paul um, to a group of people, to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And before we, uh, before we uh, start, actually we're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 17. On Wednesday night, we um, had our, our Zoom online service and was talking about uh, the topic of civil disobedience and in church and how to parse those difficult decisions when God is saying one thing and God is giving us one direction and then we have other things like uh, the civil government giving us different direction. And uh, before uh, we read this passage in Acts chapter 17, which is going to tell us about the Apostle Paul going to Thessalonica, I want to read this passage from Matthew 10 that has relevance in Jesus' day, had relevance to Paul, and it has relevance in our day. Matthew 10, verse 16 and 23, the beginning and end of a passage when Jesus was getting ready to send out Um, His disciples, he said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. So Jesus was warning his disciples as he sent them out that they would face opposition and they needed to be wise, but gentle, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. How does that work out? What does that look like? How do we go about dealing with some of these difficult things that arise in the work of the church? Here in Acts chapter 17, um, Before we read this, let me give you the scriptural context. The Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey now. And while he was on that beginning of that journey, he and Silas went back through the churches that that Paul and Barnabas had established during their first missionary journey in what we know now as Turkey. At the time, it was called Asia Minor. And they went back and visited all those churches that were established to encourage them. And they had this desire to continue on. And they they had this impression that they were going to go and and preach in other parts of what we know as Turkey. 
And they tried to go this way and that way, and the Lord wouldn't allow them to do it. And they got to the end of the road, and they're like, what's next? And Paul had a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And when he woke up that next morning, he shared that with the others, and they, they came to the same conclusion that God was calling them to leave the area known as Asia Minor and go to what we know as Europe. It was Greece, okay, but to actually venture into Europe. And so this is the first time the gospel came into Europe. And they came in there, and the first place that they went was a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, they had some success. They saw um, some people being saved. Paul went to a synagogue there. And the synagogue was a collection of Jewish people who lived in Philippi and began to preach and And the Lord, um, actually there wasn't a synagogue, there was a gathering of Jews uh, that met because they didn't have enough people for a synagogue at the time. Started with them, people were getting saved, a church was being established, and there was persecution, and Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. That's when they were singing and praying that night. The Lord sent an earthquake and released them. The Philippian jailer, thinking all the prisoners were gone, was about to kill himself, knowing that he would lose his life because of the escape of the prisoners. And then Paul and Silas said, don't harm yourselves, we're still here. And that man fell down kneeling and said, what do I have to do to be saved? And they shared the gospel with him. And that night he got saved and his family got saved and they got baptized and and the Lord was building that church. But then Paul and Silas had to leave Philippi because there had been so much unrest there. So they left Philippi, and that's where we pick up in verse 1. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, I'll go ahead and put this map up here. If you can squint, you can see. When they left Philippi, they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the whole world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. 
And so in that passage, we read all that's recorded in Acts about what happens in Thessalonica. And it's just about nine verses, but there's a lot of things going on there. And I think before we, we dig into looking at this passage, I want to explain a little bit about Thessalonica. Um, Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. Macedonia was a Roman province. And so if we think about Rome, they were the world empire at the time. Think of a province as a state. It is an area under the rule of Rome. And Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. So when it came to the importance of the city, it was a really important place. There were about 200,000 people that lived there. And Thessalonica had a, a pretty interesting history. Thessalonica was named after Thessaloniki, who was the half-sister of Alexander the Great. Okay? She was the wife of Cassander, who created the city of Thessalonica, naming it after his wife, the half-sister of Alexander the Great, who was the head of and the, and the greatest military leader the world has ever known with the Greek Empire. Named it after his wife, <clears throat> got rid of a whole bunch of little small towns and said, we're going to build one big city here. <clears throat> it was, had a great anchorage, a great port access, nice deep waters. It was on um, a, a really important Roman highway eventually. Um, it was, had really great mines, gold and silver mines close by, fields. I mean, it was a very wealthy, prosperous city. And the people, the Macedonian people, had as their heritage Philip and Alexander the Great. And they were, had been used to, at one point, being the strongest, most impressive, most feared people in the world. But, eventually, after Alexander died, a lot of that stuff fell apart. And this area... Um, became uh, a target for Rome when the Roman Empire was taking over more and more land. And Thessalonica and the area of Macedonia would be a great prize. And these people were not easy to conquer. There were lots of wars and back and forth. And even after Rome had won, there were uprisings from time to time. Someone claimed to be a descendant of Alexander the Great. And they'd try to gather a bunch of people and revolt against Rome, and Rome would have to push them back down. Eventually, they calmed down, and they submitted really well to the Roman government. In fact, they got, and this is really important, they got to be so um, intertwined with the Roman government, so supportive of the Roman government, so supportive of Caesar, that they got to become a free state. And that was a big deal. If you remember during the days of Jesus in Jerusalem, the big rub that the, the Jewish people there had was they hated the Roman occupation. They hated the fact that they had to pay tax to Caesar. They hated the fact that Rome had their troops stationed there in Jerusalem. They hated the fact that they had someone like Pontius Pilate ruling over them as a local Roman leader. They didn't like all that. But why did they have all that? Well, because they kept trying to fight against Rome. And so Rome's like, well, we're going to station troops there. And we're going to control your government. And we're going to control your currency. And we're going to control this and that. And y'all really can't do much of anything. Well, in Thessalonica, they were very submissive to Rome. 
And because of that, Rome said, we're going to trust you guys. You guys get to have your own government. You guys get to have your own currency. You get to to educate your kids the way you want to. You don't have to have Roman troops there in your city. And the people in Thessalonica, they love that. They love the freedom that they have, and they happily worshipped the Caesar, the king of, of the Roman Empire, and they talked about how great he was, and they had this really good back-and-forth relationship between Rome and Thessalonica. When it comes to the way these people worshipped, just like a lot of places in the Roman Empire, these people had a lot of different gods they worshipped. A lot of them believed in all sorts of different gods that they sacrificed to and this, that, and the other. But there were a few gods that they as a community worshipped together and they had great feasts and kind of the way that they were patriotic. You know, just like we celebrate the 4th of July and all those things in America, they had feasts and celebrations for different gods whereby they would kind of come together uh, as a community around the worship of the god of their city or a god of Macedonia or the Roman emperor himself. They worshipped the Roman emperor as a god. And that was part of their patriotism in Thessalonica, in Macedonia, and in Rome. Now the Jewish people, we read that there was a synagogue of Jews. What does that mean? A synagogue is kind of like what we think of today as like a church. And there's still there's synagogues in Anchorage. It's a, it's, a, it's a congregation of Jewish people. And in the midst of Thessalonica, there was a, a synagogue of Jewish people. Now the thing with the Jewish people is they didn't worship all the other gods. They believed in one God. One God, the God of the Old Testament. And Paul had been raised as a Jewish person. He still was a Jewish person in a very real sense, in the flesh. He was a Jewish man. And the way Paul's missionary work occurred was you notice he left Philippi and he skipped through Amphipolis and Apollonia and then came down to Thessalonica. Why did he skip Amphipolis and Apollonia? Well, they didn't have Jewish synagogues. Paul's modus of the way he worked in his missionary work was he would first go a place where there was a synagogue and he would preach Jesus to them and show them that the Old Testament that they believed was telling about Jesus. He would go to passages like Isaiah 53 that we spent time in and say, look, this is talking about Jesus. And not only would Paul be able to reach the Jewish people in that synagogue, but there were oftentimes other people who weren't born Jewish, but they really respected and believed a lot of things that the Jews were talking about. And these were like some of the Greeks and even some of the leading women of the city went to this Jewish synagogue to worship. And that's where they heard Paul. And so when we get into the first part of this passage, the first five verses They came to that synagogue and Paul went in, as it says, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, what does that mean? For three weeks, they met on Saturdays. That was the Jewish Sabbath. For three Saturdays, he went in there. He was given the opportunity to speak. Now, why was Paul given an opportunity to speak? Well, Paul was had been a Pharisee. He had been taught by the most respected Jewish scholars back in Jerusalem. And this was probably something pretty 
pretty cool, pretty special for the Jewish people to get somebody in who is that connected to their leaders back in Jerusalem. And Paul had that pedigree. That was his history. That was his background. And so they were happy to let Paul come in and talk. But then Paul caught it, started talking about Jesus. And for three weeks, he got to go there and explain to them, look, look at your scriptures. The Messiah that you all have been waiting for has come. His name is Jesus. And I know you didn't think things would go down like this because you expected the Messiah to come in on a white horse and gather Israel together and raise her up as a great nation right away and conquer the world. But the Messiah came and he came not on a, on a white stallion but on a, on a donkey and he was humble and he was a servant and he died at the hands of the Roman government. But he rose from the dead, and he reigns right now with God in heaven, and, and he is the one in whom you should trust, and he is now calling you to himself, and calling you to, to turn from your sin, and believe on him and be saved. For three weeks, they let Paul speak about Jesus. And during that time, we read here that there were a few Jews, several devout Greeks. And this is a picture of what Thessalonica may have looked like at the time. A few Jewish people, several devout Greeks, and the wives of some of the leading men of the city believed and separated themselves from the synagogue. And from that people who had believed that a church was formed, this would be the core, the seed of the church of Thessalonica that Paul would later write to. But here is the real rub. The real rub. Here is the cause of the real problem, the real friction there in Thessalonica. Verse 5, the first part. But the Jews were jealous. The Jews were jealous. And we see the next thing that's going to happen, we'll talk about in a minute. They, they, they formed a mob. There was a riot. Okay? But because of several people leaving the synagogue, I have a mistake up there. That says 1 Thessalonians 17. That is, there is not 17 chapters in Thessalonians. That should say Acts. And you're going to probably see that error coming up over and over here. I apologize. This is Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 verse 5. The Jews were jealous. How did it go down? Well, this synagogue was no doubt very connected and very prosperous because they had leading people from the city who were coming, who were contributing, who gave them a high standing and respect and all those things. But when several of them heard the gospel and they started following Paul and listening to what he was saying, you can imagine that fourth Saturday at synagogue, all of a sudden there were a bunch of empty seats. Where's so-and-so? Where's this person? Where's that person? They're not here today. 
And the week goes by, they're still not there. Well, somebody had to go check on them and see what's going on. And they go talking like, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, but, you know, we believe in Jesus. You know, we, be, we believe he was the Messiah. You, you mean you're not coming back to synagogue? You're not going to come? You know, what? What? All of a sudden, they were seeing the size of their congregation shrinking there at the synagogue. And, and they were, people were listening to Paul and the, and the gospel message he was preaching and all that stuff instead of listening to them as their authority. And they saw their, their financial security in the synagogue dwindling. They saw their influence in the community dwindling and they got jealous about it. Okay? Now, even though all the stuff we read in Acts 17, not 1 Thessalonians 17, we read it and it's all compressed there in nine verses. There is a strong indication that Paul and Silas stayed in Thessalonica for, for a decent amount of time, probably a few months. I say that because if you go look in Philippians chapter 4, when Paul writes to that church at Philippi, he had been to before he was in Thessalonica, he writes to them, if I can get my fingers to work today and turn... Philippians chapter 4, verse um, 16. Here we go. He writes to them and says, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So when Paul was in Philippi, when Paul was in Thessalonica, excuse me, the church in Philippi sent Money or food or resources to him at least a couple times while he was down there. And this isn't just like driving down the road for us. I mean, this was a journey involved and back and forth. So there's no, there's no doubt that Paul was there for some period of time. In fact, if we go and we read actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we get the indication that Paul actually started working while he was in town. He just didn't live off of some supplies he brought, but he actually worked while he was in town. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, when he writes this letter to them later, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. In fact, if we were to go on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. It's implied that they already had some elders, some leaders emerging in the church. And so Paul didn't do all this in three weeks. Okay, This was something that probably took a few months. But what's also clear about this is that Paul and Silas did not get to stay as long as they would have liked to have stayed. They did not get to stay as long as they felt they needed to stay. Because of what happened next. And so the real rub was that the Jews were jealous. Let's talk about these riots now. This is Acts 17, starting in the second part of verse 5. And the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. 
and set the city in an uproar and attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the whole world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of saying, saying that there is another King Jesus, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. This is interesting. And I say this is interesting because I think it has relevance to what goes on right now in our country at times. Not all the time, but sometimes. We see that there were a people with an agenda. That was the Jewish people in this circumstance. They were jealous because of what was happening at, happening at their synagogue. And because they had a problem, they had an issue, they had an agenda, they stirred up a mob, a riot in the city because of their agenda. But what's interesting and what you have to note that when they stirred up this mob, the mob was not all upset saying, oh my goodness, the synagogue is shrinking and the leading people are leaving it and they're not having as much money in their synagogue as they used to have. This is horrible. We need to get rid of these people. That's not what they were saying in the mob. That's not what they were fighting about. That's what started it. That's why these Jewish people did this. And I'm not saying that all Jewish people were bad. I'm talking about this specific circumstance at this specific time. Okay? But that's, that's, that's what the real reason was not what was broadcast to the people. What they did was they created a riot and they went with this mob to go look for Paul and Silas. And when they couldn't find them, they grabbed this guy, Jason, who was apparently formerly with that synagogue and had gotten saved, was now a Christian, was hosting Paul and Silas in his house while they were there. And they grabbed him and they grabbed some of the other Christians and they brought them before the city council. Now, they had home rule. They didn't have to bring them before the Romans. They got to rule themselves and they had their own city council and their own leaders. And so they drug them all there before the city council to deal with this. And here is their claim. They have, we have a, there's an international threat that has come to our community. And some of our very citizens have received these Christians. The people who are causing all this tumult and drama all over the world. Why? Well, they are acting against the laws of Caesar. They have decreed another king. They've said that there's somebody else who's a king besides Caesar, this Jesus. Now, why was this such a big deal? That's, this is why all the stuff I've been telling you makes a difference. Because they as a people were free in Rome because they were so closely aligned with Rome. They didn't have to pay taxes to the emperor. They got to not have the Roman troops in their city. They got to educate their kids and govern themselves and have their own money and have their own identity. They got to have all this stuff because they were so submissive to Rome. And when this message got spooled up that these Christians were preaching another king, somebody else that people should listen to and follow rather than Caesar, 
All they had to do was say the word and everyone started getting concerned because if the Romans hear this and they think that we're looking to another king besides Caesar, we can lose our freedom. We can have troops here in our hometown and we can have all sorts of stuff. We can lose our economic life here because somebody could take away the great contracts we have with Rome to supply our gold and silver and all this stuff. They may take our power. They may take our freedom. They may take our money. And so that got everybody all riled up in that, communi- in that community. And there was another way that they violated the commands of Caesar. Because Caesar had decreed, I think it was Julius Caesar who had decreed years prior, nobody can prophesy the death or the downfall of anybody else. Nobody can prophesy. Nobody can ask, when's the emperor going to die? And go seek some sort of witch or astrologer or somebody else to tell them when the emperor is going to die. You do not make prophecies about the death and destruction of other people. Because people would go do that and they say, oh, the emperor is not going to last much longer. There's a prophecy about his death and all sorts of stuff. And so they just outlawed it. Well, this message of Jesus spoke about a day that a king was going to come back on a horse You know, a white horse from heaven and he was going to come and gather his people and there would be a downfall of nations. And that whole thing is just not really what the Roman government wanted people to think about. And so there were some things about this Christian message that was taken and distorted to create a riot. Now, in truth, were the Christians trying to turn the people against the Roman government? And we talked on Wednesday night. Paul wrote under under the days of Nero, this guy who was a great persecutor, that we ought to honor the government, pay our taxes, honor the king, be good citizens, do all those things. But it didn't matter what the truth was. They got a riot stirred up and they made claims. And what's interesting is notice the hypocrisy of the Jews because they believed in a Messiah who would return as king. They just didn't believe it was Jesus. But that didn't stop them from taking and starting this message and twisting it to get everybody all riled up. And so in the face of this riot, when Jason and the others, those Christians in Thessalonica, were brought before the city council, this is what they did. Acts 17, verses 9 and 10. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest... They let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. What happened? Their local government issued a rule. They said, we need money from you. We need a bond to be posted from you before you can be released. And what's implied here by their actions is that there were two conditions to that. Number one, you are not to allow those Christian messengers, Paul and Silas, to cause any more trouble. They've got to go. And the next thing was that we don't want you guys to be causing any more trouble in the community. Well, we see that in part... uh, They obeyed. That very night, Paul and Silas were sent away 
secretly so as not to have to face these people and the persecutors and the mob and all that stuff. So they could go off someplace else and continue their missionary work. So what do we take away from this? What do we take away from this today? Number one, we are not the first Christians to live in complex and difficult times. (laughs) We are not the first Christians to have to face hard decisions Opposition and rules from government telling us what we can do and what we can't do and have to look at these things and parse out what is right and what is wrong. That's comforting. It's comforting. You know, Satan, one of the ways Satan works, and he has a lot of different tricks up his sleeve. But one of the ways Satan works is by making you feel like you're the only one who has ever had to deal with whatever challenge you're facing. That somehow in the history of humanity, nobody's ever had it this bad. Nobody's ever faced situations this difficult. No one's ever had to answer questions this hard. And his whole point in doing that is to make us just feel that God is not enough for us. And my friends, that's not true. God is enough. And God who was enough for these people is a God who was enough for us and can help us in the complex and difficult times we face. Number two, when we face persecution, when we face new rules, and new mandates. It's going to require a constant reassessment. It's going to require us to, to be kind of constantly reassessing what is going on, what are they saying, what, what do we have to do, and parse these things out. And it's, it's never easy. When the decisions are, and the issues are black and white, if they're simply saying, you can never preach Jesus again, that's an easy one. Now, it doesn't mean that doing it's easy, but the, but the answer is easy. We must continue to preach Jesus. We will continue to preach Jesus. And if we face consequences for that, we face the consequences. We don't want to launch ourselves into the wood chipper, but if there's no way around it, We will go where we need to go because we must preach Jesus. Even though obedience may be hard. But when the issues are more nuanced, we have to constantly reassess and apply wisdom. This rule that came from the city government there in Thessalonica was one of those more difficult, nuanced rules. It didn't stop or prohibit the gospel or the church directly. It was more about get rid of this Paul and Silas. Don't let there be any more drama. 
And so they were in this circumstance where they had been saved. Several of them had been saved. They had formed a church. They were already having some leaders. They didn't know everything yet. They didn't have this all down and understood. They hadn't been raised in Christian homes or even a lot of them hadn't even been Jewish. And so a lot of this was new to them. So there's a lot that they didn't know, but they could still go on. But this was not going to be an easy circumstance. It just made the work more challenging. And so the decision they made was to send Paul and Silas away. To go ahead and go, but they would continue on there in the community trying to serve God. The Apostle Paul wrote about this later. He wrote about it. In fact, Paul Paul called out what was really going on here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17. Paul writes to this church. This is why it's so important for us to understand this background. Hear what he writes in in chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I'm not able to be with you right now. I was torn away from you. I want to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. My opinion is that this was that outstanding rule that Paul and Silas are not allowed back here. And that prohibition, that rule was something that they had to continue to deal with. And he goes on and writes, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. And I'll stop right there. I'm not going to read all this, but in in the first uh, chapter, it talks about how those people at the church at Thessalonica, they got persecuted too. And some of them lost possessions because of the persecution they they faced. Now, they didn't stop when they were faced with that persecution, because to stop would mean to stop doing the work of the church and to stop with the gospel. But they did try to work around this situation with Paul and Silas, and they sent them away. But Paul and Silas were like, well, we can't come back, but we can send Timothy. So they sent Timothy back to go and to try to continue to teach them and to help them and establish them. And then Timothy came back to Paul with news of how they were doing. And Paul was thrilled that this church hadn't just folded under the persecution, that they hadn't just given up and laid it all down and said, this is too hard. And Paul rejoiced at that. And when Paul heard about what was going on, And where they were at. And he heard what Timothy had to say. In fact, it's kind of implied. They sent back some questions to Paul. Paul wrote them this letter. And that is the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And so, 
what I want you to see is that they faced hard circumstances and they were trying to navigate all these things the best they could to deal with their government and to be obedient to their government, but they couldn't stop doing what they needed to be doing. And there were times that they got in trouble and they had to deal with it, but where they could follow, they did. But it certainly made things hard because there was still work that needed to be done at that church in Thessalonica. There were things that they still needed to know. But what I want you to see is this final point, that great and enduring things can come from seasons of inconvenience and difficult circumstances. Great and enduring things can come from seasons of inconvenience and difficult circumstances. Some of you are holding it in your fingers right now. And it's this letter of 1 Thessalonians. If the Apostle Paul had been able to stay there with Silas and spend all the time that he needed to there and get it all taken care of and teach them all these things and then go on, we wouldn't have 1 Thessalonians. God ordained and used this season of inconvenience and difficulty to write a letter through Paul that would endure for thousands of years and would instruct and teach not only that church at Thessalonica, but us too. A people who would face inconvenience and difficulty and hard decisions and struggle and potential persecution. And if we don't face persecution now, it's coming down the road. It's coming If we don't face it now, we will. And so in some ways, this is a good thing for us to learn to think through some of this stuff. The fruit of this letter is divinely inspired and it's enduring and it's got some practical encouragement for us. And as we go through this letter, Lord willing, we're going to learn about purity, about the blessing of work, We're going to learn more about Christian love. We're going to learn more about prophecy. We're going to learn more about the resurrection in the last days. The Apostle Paul in the first and second letters to the Thessalonians says a lot about the end times. And so, Lord willing, we will get into more of those things as we go through this. But what struck me and what blessed me is as I've been praying and thinking about this and and just trying to dig in, I just saw so many lines from their circumstance to ours and the things that are going on and and just, you know, it it filled me with some hope and some encouragement that, you know, God's got a word for us. He wants to speak to us. And even though we're in hard times and Satan will tempt us to think that nothing good can come of difficult days like this, that is not the example of the word of God. (laughs) Many of Paul's letters, not this one, but many of them were written from prison. The book of Revelation was written when John was isolated on the island of Patmos because of preaching the gospel. The book Pilgrim's Progress was written by John Bunyan. Second most read book next to the Bible, I think, in, in, the, in English literature. 
He wrote that while he was in jail. I think in the 1600s for preaching the gospel. In fact, we have to look no further than the cross itself to recognize that God's greatest blessing came on the day of greatest darkness. And so I want to end on that note of hope and encouragement that we've got a God who is bigger than all this stuff. Doesn't mean that this isn't easy. Doesn't mean that all the answers are just crystal clear. But it gives us hope that if we seek to cling to Him, look to Him, trust Him, follow Him, He will give us everything we need and He will make something beautiful and enduring and lasting out of this season of difficulty, just as He has done time and time again. That's the message I wanted to share with you all today. Thank you for sticking with me through this. And I hope there's something here that just spoke to your heart in some way and gives you some encouragement.